lack of silence needed to ease the nerves of those involved. Instead, the people who are there, not the soldiers, but those living under constant conflict, they hear the noises of gunshots, sirens, the cries and the yells of those that have lost the fight and from those who are still fighting. Those cries fill the night. <laughs> Variations in the volumes and the textures of sounds shows just how much firepower is being brought to the fight from both Russia and the Russian opposition, which is NATO, the United States of America, and all Western-backed countries. This is an open and a declared war against Russia. Just because congressional leaders or different members of government haven't said openly that we as a country are at war with Russia, you cannot deny the unspoken conflict that is screamed over and over again from the very same officials saying that this will not be over until Russia is no longer. The silence for those who are undertaking this is broken by long bursts of rifle and machine gun fire. It's thumping into material, sometimes concrete, sometimes wood, sometimes flesh in the distance. Information shows that just a few miles from the center of where action is taking place right now, mercenary groups are inching forward toward major parts of different cities in costly or what is seen as methodical assaults. The writers that we read the story from moved from position to position as they found a man exactly where they left him three days earlier. He was sitting on a bench. This bench was next to a garage. He was dismantling broken window frames hacking away at them with an axe or an edged tool. He was working ceaselessly to salvage the wood that he needs for fuel in order to give life-saving heat to his wood-burning stove inside of his home. Just as this man has, you too will need to salvage wood, metal, parts from anything and everything from within the rubbish. You'll need to take things from discarded and broken items, from half-destroyed things in your area in a disaster. You need to get gloves right now while you, uh, while you still can. You don't need one pair. You need a lot. You're going to go through them. Then you need to get the tools that you're going to use to destroy and to salvage. This is where the foundation class and different members of our community here have a distinct edge against uh, blue collar and higher ups. They know how to salvage. They know how to take things apart. They have worked to demolish their own things. Why? Because the people with a lot of money can just call someone to do it for them. And so they have a distinct advantage here. And I suggest that you start to gain some of that advantage for yourself. <clears throat> the writers speak of staying the night in a building's basement. This basement was from the people that they were shadowing. They were showing exactly what life was like, is like, during this war for people who are living through it, the residents who remain behind. We have so many people in our community here who say that they will not leave no matter what happens. Their home is their refuge. It is their only sanctuary. That's where their preps are. That's where their uh, family members are who remain immobile or cannot be moved. That's where they will stay. So whether it's by choice or whether it's by the uh, acts of other things outside of your control, you and your family have to get ready that if you are remaining behind, this is what life will be like for you. The exchange from the writers for a night's stay in what they hoped would be a safe location, one free of bombings, one free of missiles, consisted of warm greetings, a bag for the residents that was filled with food and hygiene products that were brought in from outside of the war zone. And that's a barter box. You know about it. We've talked about it here. You're going to need to barter with people for items. So having things that maybe aren't right within your use is important. It means that you and your family will have the opportunity to maybe trade, barter, uh, give some things to other people, a giveaway box for people who really need it. It can be dollar store aspirin for somebody who needs a low-dose aspirin every single day to help ward off a cardiac event. It could be uh, dollar store vitamins. It could be Benadryl. 
Can you imagine fighting through the trenches, fighting from your spider holes, fighting from a bunker, whatever it might be, shooting outside of your basement window if you're riddled with sneezing because of allergies? I can't imagine it. That's why you need different types of medicine, over-the-counter medication in your preparedness kit. It's no problem, says one 50-year-old neighbor, reaching the front door to greet the writers. He says, pop in and we will have some tea. As the writers headed back to a vehicle, they were approached by a Ukrainian soldier this time. He was walking deliberately toward them from behind the gate. He was walking slowly, his arms crossed in front of his rifle. He explained that they made plans to spend the night with uh, associate residents. He says, you can if you want to. I just would not stay with these people. You see, even in America, in Canada, in Europe, there's going to be sympathizers. Even when there is the uh, boots of tyranny on the necks of the people, there will be sympathizers. And so you will see people who are divided on those lines because they either see it as a survival mechanism, they feel like they just have to sympathize with that side, or maybe that's who they feel is keeping them safe because they had a family member who was taken out by a different conflict, you're going to find sympathizers. The Ukrainian soldier says that most of them openly say, speaking of the residents, that they are waiting for Mother Russia. The writers thanked the soldier and then they went on their way. Now time was essential. The sun was going to be going down. And as everyone knows, you don't want to be a silhouette in the night both sides, those defending and those opposing, will shoot at you. It's said that for older generations in the fighting zones, the people remain waiting. They're waiting for Russia's return to glory. Nostalgic, they say, for the region to flourish with industry as it has in past Soviet times. In this one position in particular, a survey suggests that nearly 6,000 residents in this city remain, including 200 children. It's warned that they either want to remain, they have say, uh, no savings, or they have no connections to help them evacuate. They remain what is called the waiting residents, frozen by their inaction as the gunfire draws closer every day. I don't want you to become like them. I want you to prepare to move. I want you to have an evacuation plan. No matter what happens around, I want you to know that you can leave, even if you have your own mobility issues. If you don't, you need to start thinking right now about other people so who are mobility impaired, other people who are disabled, other people who don't have connections outside of the region. Who do you care about? And that's the lives that it matters that you'll save. You're going to need to maybe take somebody with you, even if not providing for them the entire way, even if it is a slight burden on your behalf, be prepared to help other people survive an event. The writers, before settling in for the night, they say those waiting paid a visit, and they paid a visit to the writers themselves to a local fire station, which in the time of crisis acts as a headquarters for the country's state emergency services. The one available. While the Western world is outlaw natural and wood stoves inside of these crisis areas, that is all that keeps the residents alive in the winter. Inside of this fire station, the writers report a large wood-burning stove, a large clunking generator. The sunken main hall of the fire station is a refuge of warmth and comfort. Where are you going to find that? during a crisis? Is it your own home that will provide warmth and comfort to others? This is a quote. Our first task is to protect the lives and the team and the residents, the leader of the position claimed. And by now there is little reason to care about people's property. We don't cross the river anymore. There is very little left unruined on the other side. When their position and uh, position in emergency readiness and rescue ends, it is said that these people will return to their homes, homes with blown out windows, no running water, no electricity, no gas, only a choice every single night 
between the comfort or relative comfort of the apartment above or the safety of the basement below. This is exactly where normalization matters for you. You need to try hard to retain a normal living space for your family during a crisis. Make sure that your safe areas have all of the comforts that can be afforded to the people who are there. Mattresses, pillows, lights, a fan, a stove, anything that can make the crisis more bearable or at least more livable will, without a doubt, make the crisis that you survive through more survivable. The writers then say that some more locals, uh, their everyday task was now one of survival, like that out of a video game. Some are reported on as they work with effort to chop up firewood, others cooking on makeshift brick stoves, some just standing stuck in shock and silence, like non-player characters in a video game. The hardness of the times making life difficult for them at best and unbearable at worst. A young man approached the writers. He asked them for urgent help finding water. The station rescuer, because remember they were inside of a uh, fire station that was uh, providing security at the time. The station rescuer advised the man to take a large plastic tank that stood up behind an abandoned supermarket <laughs> about half a kilometer away. He says four of you should be able to carry it. If you can do that, we can fill it up with water for you. Maintaining regular contact and trying his best to help with the basic necessities like water, the rescuer is said to have gained the trust of local Russian-leaning residents on the block, but not all of them. As, we re as the uh, writers return to the station, a middle-aged man in a black leather jacket passed them by. Thank you, he said sarcastically looking at the rescuer in the eye and pointing to the devastated building. Thank you for this. You see, people are going to blame you. Depending on the side that you choose, it's going to be just like the Republicans and Democrats fight. Except they're going to see their own hardship as your fault. And so that's why it is ever so that's why it is ever important for you to remain the gray man, the gray woman. Your political ideologies hidden from the rest of the world. Your religiousness may be kept between you and God and the people who share your faith or the people that you trust to bring into your sharing of faith. For the other people around you, you're doing nothing but making the less protected of you a target for other people. So that person looks to the rescuer and he says, thank you for this. Personally, I had nine friends before February 24th, he said, who thought that it wouldn't be bad if Russia arrived. Now, there's only one person left. The winter sun, as the night continues, sets slowly on the sky. There's no one outside. Everybody who has doors still, they are shut and locked. When the writers circled around the front of a building, they retained the attention of one dimly lit candlelight. It was sitting by a window. It was there that they realized there had been a misunderstanding. There was a place to sleep for the writers in a different basement. The woman who had originally agreed to give them lodging changed her mind. And you're going to find this a lot during a crisis. You're going to find that when you go to someone's house, when you have plans today to bug out with them, to maybe evacuate with them, things might become hard for them and they're going to make decisions to cut fat. And it's all likely that you're going to be the fat that they cut. Even if you might have skills or goods that they need. And this is why when we talk with people who have groups, already pre-prepared survival groups, that we make sure that they understand that having all of their eggs in the basket of the survival group is not in their best interest. Because if the group decides to change its mind, it's going to be maybe you that comes up on hard times. So this woman originally agreed to give them lodging, and then she says, I'm sorry. I want to help you, but I hope you understand it's very hard to trust strangers here. I want you to listen to this exactly. Do not trust people into your home during or after a crisis. There's a definite difference, and there is a risk in even supplying aid without overwhelming force to hold on to what you have 
but sleeping in the midst of dangerous environments with strangers or even with people that you do not know well enough is deadly. Please consider this. If you would not trust a person to be alone with your naked spouse, separated on a bed only by bed sheets while you are away, then do not trust them into your home where you have your family and your children. Now think about that for a minute. You would likely trust an unabusive grandmother near your spouse, right? Naked, separated only by sheets. But would you trust your co-worker? Would you trust your neighbor? Would you trust your friend from work or your old friend that you grew up with? If you would not, do not trust them into your house with your family and your children vulnerable. Now getting back to the story, the neighbor lit a candle and they led the writers down to where they would be sleeping. They report the area as being both well in order and very clean. Inside the basement, there were two beds working in function, but not in fashion. There was a table and a shelf with some food supplies. What there was not was any sort of relief from the cold. There was not a stove and they would likely suffer throughout the night. There was moisture everywhere. Frightened and emotional, the neighbor declined to show them her basement or introduce them to her son. But before she left, the writers spoke with her by the flickering light of her candle. She spoke of a previous village. She says, friends from my village call me crying. Her name is Valentina, Valentina. The neighbor recalls one message where somebody said, Valia, we would go back to our ruins if only just to kiss the bricks, but let it be home. We only want to go home, but there are no homes left. People are locked into their homes. It's inside of their heart. When they say that home is where the heart is, that is because there is a great emotional attachment to the places that provide you and me with structure and safety. We know without knowing that a home keeps you safe from the elements. It gives you a safe place to laugh, one to love. And for this reason, many people cannot easily or eagerly abandon their homes. And so they will be the waking of this next conflict. The neighbor then speaks of the perils of relocation. You too will suffer this. She warns as she moved that she was treated with suspicion because she was from another location. Everyone was looking at you like you were a wolf, she says. My friend told me how when she went to the hairdresser and she told him that she was from another region, they kicked her out angrily. They blamed her, <laughs> saying, our people are dying because of you. Go back and be killed instead. According to the international understandings, nearly 6 million people have been forcefully relocated in this conflict. They're living as refugees inside of the country they once called home. They are displaced. They have little to no monthly income. They get little to no assistance. Many are living in disability. It makes a new life or making one almost impossible. They say that without this, they are doomed. I am afraid, she says, but now I feel that judgment must come on my own land. May whatever happen, happen. We are not wanted anywhere else anyway. She was crying and overwhelmed at the time. The neighbor is reported to have politely excused herself, taking the candlelight away and wishing the writers a good night. That left them locked up and alone in a basement, deciding on their own next move. Their time for thought was ended when someone started shouting at the street above. It was yet another neighbor, deep into the drink, drunk for the night, climbing to the second floor. They offered uh, the writers to come up they were greeted with plastic plates and cutlery, leftover salad, items cluttered between shot glasses on the family's living room table. It was a homely room, but it had seen better days. Its windows were blown out. There was no water, no electricity. They were calling for more to drink. He was said to be in an ornery mood, cursing and telling them to leave of his wife. <coughs> Tell me, she yells at the writers with a uh, snarl, how much are the Americans paying you to be here? 
Her views are shared by a lot of the locals in the area that any journalist working in this Ukrainian-controlled territory is definitely on the payroll of Washington. But they say things settled down. People drank from extracts of black tea by the light supported by an LED lamp. And outside, they could hear the continued sound of artillery, rocket fires. If you are sober, speaking of the man, maybe you start thinking that it's the end, he said, that the shelling has finally stopped. You wonder where you can hide, but if you've had a few drinks, you can just sit back and enjoy the concert. This is a reminder to you and the community. Alcohol, illicit drugs, they are a major part of every crisis. <clears throat> they are going to be used by many. They're going to be abused by some, maybe even a lot of people. Maybe even people within your own family or your group will find consolation from inebriation. They will drown their sorrows from the situation. You do need to stock up on alcohol. You have a use for it. It can be bartering or trading, but you do need to respect it. Soldiers and civilians are situated very closely together. Urban warfare there is intensifying. Tension is building between people defending the city and those trying to take it. At first, the man says, we got on well with soldiers, and now they look at us speaking Russian, and they ask openly, why did we travel a thousand miles to fight for you? The man answers them, why are you fighting for me? You're destroying my city. Civilians are repeatedly encouraged to leave. Those who choose to stay are caught in a world where laws no longer exist. Trust goes away quickly. Social normalcy quickly becomes eroded. Only the people that remain stay together. The man claims that Ukrainian soldiers looted apartments in his building, thinking that they were abandoned. The day after they first came, he says, we were hit closer than ever. The garage was destroyed. And then they went inside to check and see if we had gone yet. He imitated the soldiers, saying that the uh, Ukrainians claimed to be searching, clearing the area for uh, Russians or for secret weapons. And then they broke down the neighbor's door. They started looking for gold, jewelry, and valuables. When the battle started for regions, he says, our city started to get hit from our side. Later, of course, the Russians started to hit it. There are people who just don't have the intellectual capacity to understand what's going on, says one first responder. Propaganda has destroyed all abilities to see what is happening in front of our own eyes. Many cannot tell whose side the others are on. Guys, that is just a short synopsis of exactly what life behind enemy lines is like. I want you to take from this a couple of key notes. The most important, like I said, do not trust people into your home that you would not trust in the most intimate or even respectful of situations. Do not leave this week without a plan to evacuate. If you don't have a support structure outside of your area, start making one. You know people out there. Not everybody is going to shun you. Not everybody is going to look at you the wrong way. But you need to have a plan A, a plan B, and a plan C. Because the guys at plan A might say no. The people at plan B might say, sorry, things changed. But you'll be glad you have a plan C. Thank you very much for being here with us every single day on YouTube. Please come back tomorrow for more headlines and news from around the world. From my family to yours, please stay safe and keep watch. This week's Full Spectrum News is brought to us by you. What's going on, Black family? Ace here. Got a King Kong consciousness. Just dropped some new material. Says it's, uh, it's about 30 minutes, so uh, gonna go ahead and I already got it keyed up. Let's see what this brother talking about not organized it's as if you're not there at all right well how do you think you organize us because there's a handful that will organize uh -huh. and there's the crowd that will organize and won't vote how do you feel about that well here's the thing voting is important but only if you're going to organize 
I am not a fan of people just going out to vote because it's time to vote. That's pure yeah, nonsense. That, uh, that, 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 that is a uh, agenda that the black bourgeoisie in the Democratic Party Plantation Slave Committee created. You know, they, 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 they use fear. They use fear to force people out to vote. We're the only people in the country who vote out of fear. Everybody else votes out of concession, out of demand, out of need, out of resource. Black people vote out of fear. So if he's an Asian, he's going to vote because something's coming to the Asian community. He's he's Indian, he's going to vote because something comes to the Indian community. He belongs to a labor organization or professional association. He's going to vote because something's coming to his organization. I'm black. I'm not getting nothing. Nothing that they're getting is coming to me. I'm purely voting because the black bourgeoisie of the Democratic Party has told me if you don't, things will get worse. Look at the difference now. Everybody else is voting to gain. We're voting to prevent someone else from getting into office, which means the person we're voting for has no obligation to us at all because we're not voting for him to do anything. We're voting for him to keep the other guy out. Now, how do you, how you fix to stop that? Well, number one, I think black people have to get off both plantations. Okay. Get off the Democratic Party plantation and the Republican Party plantation. Mm-hmm. We should build our own independent black political union and then leverage our voting numbers to make demands on either major party, right? Okay. There's never going to be a black president unless they want one. Right. And I don't want another black president right. because truth be told, the reason we're in the situation we're in is because we gave Barack Obama eight years to do whatever the hell he wanted to do to black people. Most of the problems we suffer from right now, the Jackson water crisis, all of it, you can trace it back to a neglect of Obama that black people co-signed. So I don't even blame Obama. We co-signed it. No other president in American history did we sit back and let do whatever the hell they want and ask them not to do nothing. Now let me ask you this. You you, you made mention of the Democratic Party like Mm -hmm. that. what are your thoughts about this Republican Party? Well, both of them are demons. Okay, well, both of them are demons. I'm, I'm, I'm just, no, 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 That's why I said earlier, yeah. we need to start our own black political union yeah. or our own black political party. The most honorable Marcus Garvey in his days in New York City, he started the Black People's Political Union. Right. Because I'm of the opinion you don't necessarily need a party. Now, in Jackson, you can have a party because you're in the majority. Right. Whatever way in the majority, do the party because you can win, right? If you're not in the majority, do the union so you can influence whoever does win. As long as Democrats know they get our vote no matter what, as long as Republicans know they don't no matter what, we'll never be taken seriously by either candidate. It's like walking into a supermarket and paying for groceries that you haven't even taken off the shelf yet. That's exactly what we do every election. Look at President Joe Biden. President Joe Biden, one year before the election, said that the number one civil rights issue in America was transgender equality. He tweeted this one year before he got elected. Black people didn't say nothing. We voted him in the office. What was the first thing he did when he took office? He passed the transgender equality bill. I think I think that happened because everybody was sick of Trump. Okay. Yeah. They were just like, but that's our problem. But that's our problem because we reduced the machine of racism to individuals. Racism is not an individual. Donald Trump is not racism. He is a racist, but he is not the system. What they have done to black people's political demise, if they have brainwashed us and convinced us that racism is an individual personality disorder. It is not. Racism is a group system developed by white people to disenfranchise all black people so they can control resources, opportunities, and privileges. All white people are racist. Everyone. Because everyone. There's no white person who's not a racist. This point is I'm understand When I say all white people are racist, that doesn't mean that they're all bigots. There's a difference between being a racist and a bigot. A bigot, I hate you because you're African. A bigot, I want to kill you if I can. A bigot, you're the N-word to me. A bigot is emotionally committed to your destruction because you are black. The racist is committed to control of the resources and opportunities and privileges that you need in order to survive. In other words, I can like black people and still be a racist because my racism is not about hating you. It's not about something being wrong with Africa. It's not about your inferiority. My racism is about one thing, keeping white people in charge. And this is why black people don't understand racism. We think white people got to hate you to be a racist. No, they don't. They simply have to be invested in what? The disproportionality, the inequality, the racism, the discrimination, keeping the resources in white hands. That's all racism is about. It has nothing to do with personal relationships. And this is why when black men lay down with white women or black women lay down with white men, your mate is still a racist. That's sex. That's a family that has nothing to do with their obligation to keep white people in charge.
You're absolutely right in what you're saying, but again, I'm not gonna single them out because they're all racist. Right. You, you understand? Uh -huh. So racism is a factor of reality for African people. This country and the whole world is run by power politics. Right. So the question Black Jackson and Black Mississippi has to ask itself: How do we develop our power politically, and economically, and socially so we can push back against some of these things? Because if you don't own nothing, if you don't control nothing, if you don't even have your numbers together so you can force your agenda, you're going to always be the victim of everybody else's agenda. Right. So the question becomes, what are we doing wrong that we cannot influence what they do? That's the question. And to that point, I would argue that we as black people have gotten so complacent and comfortable with the choice of white society that most of us are okay being on the bottom as long as we can watch the Super Bowl and get on TikTok. You understand? So racism has created little box of existence for black people that we are comfortable in. I always say the big difference between black people and white people, white people are in the pursuit of power, black people are in the pursuit of money. Because yep. like there are few black people in the legislation mm -hmm. and anything I feel like they get, they put out or try to vote on is going to get turned down anyway because they're outnumbered. Yeah, and there's another reason for that too. Number one is because they're black and they're outnumbered as you said. Mm -hmm. Number two, they're all married to the Democratic Party. That's number two. That's what I say. So, so let, let us be honest. Let us make sure we frame the argument correctly. Hold on. Let me go. It's not just about they're against us because we're black. That's number one. Hands down. But on top of that, you belong to the enemy gang. You belong. So you're not just coming here fighting for black people. Right. You're coming here fighting for the Democratic Party of Mississippi's agenda in the name of black people. Do you see that? So if I already got a big fight on my hands, I already got a big fight on my hands being black, why am I going to add the Democratic Party of Mississippi's agenda on my back too? In other words, your fight is not even a pure fight because you claim you're fighting for black people, but you're actually fighting for the white Mississippians' Democratic agenda. Drop the Democratic agenda and make it an all-black fight. So where do we start with that? Like getting the people all on one accord or what are some of the tools or tactics we can do to exercise that, to get black people on one accord, to get off of the plantations, like mm -hmm. you said, you know, out of being Democrat, because that's all, all they know. Exactly, that's all they know. We were voting Democrat for almost 100 yeah. years. And, 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 and you're absolutely right. And I always tend to go back and ask black people, do you even know why you're Democrat? Or even white people, why are you Republican? And they can never really give me a solid answer. Right. Yeah. What do you think that is? Why do you think that is in your personal opinion? Well, one of the biggest reasons that you have so many white people who are Republican over Democrat is because during the civil rights era, okay, the Democrats were painted as the party of the blacks. Although we know Lyndon Baines Johnson, John F. Kennedy couldn't give a damn about black folks. They waited to the very last minute to send troops in the Little Rock and everywhere else. You understand? So it was never about caring about black people. But they end up getting forced into it because once America started playing international police around the world, they had to clean up the image. And right. part of cleaning up that image is making white people accept black people through desegregation. So in the Democrats being effectively painted by the Republicans as the party of black people, after Lyndon Baines Johnson left office, okay, Nixon, Ford, Nearly every president thereafter, except Jimmy Carter, who was a Southern Georgia Democrat. Everybody else was a Republican up until Clinton. You understand me? So there was a national white backlash against the civil rights era. They wouldn't elect another Northern, or should I say, they wouldn't elect another Democrat after Carter until Clinton. So most of your presidents post-civil rights have been what? Republican. On purpose, because white people see Democrats as the party of blacks, even though it's not. The problem is we also see them as the party of blacks, and they're not. The Democrats are very clever, because what they do is they manipulate Republican racism against blacks to the benefit of the Democratic Party. So for example, let's take the George Floyd police bill. Still hasn't been passed, right? When the Democrats had a majority in Congress, it still didn't get passed. When the Democrats were in charge, it still didn't get passed. You know why? They didn't want the George Floyd bill any more than the Republicans. But what they did was they do what? They wait until the Republicans have a majority, then they bring it up for a vote. So now when it doesn't pass, the Republicans kept the George Floyd bill. Yeah. Yeah. But what about when you was in the majority? 
Right. Why did it come to the floor and you had a chance to pass it? Because you didn't want it either. So what the Democrats do is they stifle anything that benefits black people while they're in charge. And they wait till the Republicans come out and then they enter it when they know it's not going to pass. That's how they control us. We are literally under a two-party dictatorship. Black people suffer from the illusion of inclusion. And that's what keeps us loyal to the Democratic Party or the Republican Party. Get off of both of them. No white racist Republican parties are going to be blacks. How do you, how do you start this this situation that you're talking about start organize okay i understand that but how do you organize in a city like jackson this is do i say what you did 75 years ago you know say like invite them right that's the black and what you also gotta understand too is in a state like mississippi the democrats are only two stones throw away from being republicans themselves right that means your black democrats have relationships with white Democrats who have agendas that are antithetical to black people's progress. And also your black Democrats have relationships with white Republicans that are antithetical to black people's progress. So we have to understand that behind closed doors, although it looks like a war in public, there's deals being made between black Democrats and white Republicans behind your back that keep us where we are. That's the history of black politics post-King. So you have to do an investigation in all black elected officials from the top to the bottom and find out who's financing the campaign. Because until you know who's financing people's campaigns, you don't know whose agenda they're carrying out. Yeah. I don't believe in he's black, she's black. I don't play that. That's right. Show me the list of your campaign contributors, yeah. and I'll know whether you're black or not. All right. All right. So you mentioned earlier about black people really just searching for money. Do yes. We pursue money. Do you think this is a reason that we can't join together, especially in a state like Mississippi where everybody's pretty much poor, and they get an opportunity to come along and maybe backstab a situation that they might have been doing some good work in, but some money comes along and it changes everything. There's an elder of mine in Philadelphia whose name I'm forgetting. She's a public published author and um, professor at one of the uni- universities in Philly. Retired now. Mm-hmm. She said black people are the only people who don't have a racial ego. Mm-hmm. We don't have a racial ego. Right. We have a Christian ego. We have a Muslim ego. Right. We got a Democratic ego. We got a Republican ego. We got a gang ego. We got a sorority ego. We got a Masonic ego. We don't have a racial ego. So there's nobody who's defending the best interests of the race. Who's looking out for the best interests of the people? Everybody is sectarian, even when it comes to politics. The mere fact that some of us are Republicans and some of us are Democrats speaks to the fact that we're fighting somebody else's agenda. We got a Democratic ego and we got even white people, but we don't have a black ego. So what you're going to have to do is reconstruct the collective consciousness of African people. You're going to have to do that one African at a time. You got to start bringing us together. We got to organize the old way. Forget social media. You're never going to organize organize black people by using TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. We got to organize the old school way. Door to door, we have to meet tonight. Coming out, we're going to feed you. You got to feed black folks or they're not going to Because we're politically immature. Politically immature. You also got to entertain black people or they're not going to come. We're the only people in the country, if you want us to come out, you either got to feed us or entertain us or both. White people need to be fed. White people need to be entertained. Chinese need to be fed. Chinese that, but you have to build it. You have resources too, but you dissipated them. We're two trillion dollars, my brother. We spend two trillion on Jordans every day. Four billion on liquor. McDonald's gets a billion. Thirty billion on hair and beauty. We have it, but you have to organize it. And the biggest, the biggest resistance to the organization is the self hatred. Remember, there's no racial ego. Black people have given up on being black a long time ago. That's why we got niggas running around talking about some of the Indians and aliens and all this other stuff. Yeah. Nobody wants to be black anymore. You see, so you got to rebuild that. That's rebuild that. It's going to be hard. This ain't no easy thing. No, no, and it may not even get done in our lifetime. That's what that's what I was segmenting into. Okay. And time, do you do you feel like you by yourself in this? And do you, do you have like opposition coming from your own kind? There's always going to be opposition. Yeah, right. There's always. Do you going to feel like you by yourself doing it? Because we see you on all the platforms. Mm-hmm. This, that, the other. And I don't know if I can necessarily see anybody talking like you, but I do know. Two most dangerous things on the planet is sincere ignorance and conscientious stupidity. Mm-hmm. So, how do you, how do you, there's two answers to that question. One, I'm not alone in that I have tens of millions of supporters around the world, right? Like, for example, the school we build in Wellington. That's the first school in the history of this country that was built exclusively off donations from Africans from every continent. So, I get nothing but love. Who can understand? I'm probably the first mainstream scholar to have the following of these people hanging up on this wall. Put me in a room and rapper. More people probably gonna come to me than me rapping. That's the type of love I get, right? So that's the one answer. The other answer is the front line battle. Yes, 
because there's not a lot of black people who are willing to take the stands I take, who are willing to show up and show out the way that I do. See, if you look at most conscious people, the so-called conscious community, I call it fake woke, because all they do is do videos, nobody's doing any activism. One of the biggest differences between the conscious community of today and the civil rights era of the 60s is they didn't have the knowledge we have, they didn't have all the degrees, but they had the activism. Stokely was on the streets. Right. H. Rap Brown was on the streets. King, Malcolm, Mega, they was on the streets. Look at these guys today. Look at your YouTube being fake focus. What? You to a podcast. Yeah. So unfortunately for me, I get more attention from the white power structure than I deserve. See, yeah. back in the days of Stokely and King Malcolm, J. Edgar Hoover had to worry about 20 legitimate groups. Right. He could focus on one. He had 20. Yeah. I got to keep the SELC. I got to watch the Freedom Riders. I got to watch the Sins. I got to watch Elijah. I got to watch Garveyites. I got to watch Stokely, you see. Yeah. Today, you can count on your one hand the people who are sincerely committed to our people, struggling in the streets, who are not being financed by white people. I want to add that. Because some of you will say, well, I know this guy, this guy, this guy. Show me who ain't getting money from white people. Right. Right. You feel me? I can't name one group. Let me take that back. I do know a few. New Black Panther Party, Fred Hampton Gun Club, there's groups, right? Because you and I are the Garvey movement, there's different groups. But frontline grassroots action, politically speaking, you can hardly find anybody who's not being funded by the enemy. And that's another big problem that we have. You're trying to fight for justice using racism's dollars. It'll never happen. Now, one of my questions wants to know about the IEP program. Sure, sure. Special education. Okay, so when we talk about IEP, we're talking about three things in one. A learning disability, special education, an IEP. You can't have one without the other two. If you tell me my son is in special ed, that automatically means he has an IEP, that automatically means he was diagnosed with his learning disability. Federal special ed law, because special ed is a federal law, a federal program, there's 13 disabilities, right? It was autism, intellectual disability, emotional disturbance, speech and language impairment, orthopedic impairment, multiple disability, other health impairment, the children who are deaf and blind, the hearing impairment, there's 13. But the ones they use on black kids the most are intellectual yeah. disability, reading and math disability, emotional disturbance, and ADHD for other health impairment. Now, what do those four disabilities have in common? They're the four disabilities under special ed that are the most subjective and dependent on people's opinions. If you tell me your son got a reading disability, I'm actually prove it. You're going to say, well, he has trouble comprehending. I'm going to say, how much practice does he get? How good of an instruction is he get? What quality of school did he get? Most black kids in special ed are in special ed for reading disabilities. You know why? Because they not read at home. Their parents ain't got no damn books in that house. They don't go to the library. They don't miss. This right here is destroying black America. The cell phone. It's destroying black America. They're all over social network, all over video games, but you fell in two or three classes. And for the life of me, I'm trying to understand why you got black kids in Mississippi who can't read, but they got a video game system in their house. Exactly. So, yes, the system is destroying our kids on purpose. They're using special ed to turn black people to a permanent underclass, but they're doing it with our permission because we have gotten comfortable with mediocrity. Most black people are okay with our children being mediocre. And if anybody disagrees with that, I'll say, show me the black city in America that values academic excellence. I don't see it. All I see is attention paid to money, attention paid to these goofy-ass gangster rappers, attention being paid to celebrities and entertainers. We do not value academically excellent children. Because most parents, they don't feel like, you know, well, as long as my child is better than what I did. They have that mentality. And that's, and that's sad. Yeah. Because if you were already sub zero, right. if he's just negative zero, you consider that progress. <laughs> but he's still drowning. But that's the mentality. But that's, yeah. that's why when I originally came up with the FPG concept, I wanted to be a residential school. We can't afford that right now, right? So we're going to be a day school. Okay. But ultimately, we're going to grow to be a residential academy. Okay. Because I don't want to send the kids back to the homes. The homes is where the toxicity is. As somebody who's a mobile therapist, I go into a house, I see a white Jesus still. We still got white Jesus. Oh, yeah. No books, video games, cell phones, fake hair, Air Jordans, everything, but nothing to promote academic excellence. We are failing our children as much as the system, which is why I always say, if it was up to me, I wouldn't diagnose kids, I'd diagnose their parents. Wow. He would not have that reading disability if they didn't have a parent's license. What would you say to them with the thing like, oh, you want to go to a residential school? And you're not taking my baby away. What, what would you say to him? Keep your baby. I'm not here to fight nobody. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't here to fight nobody, brother. One thing about me, 
I will not be convincing anybody to send each other to my school. If you come okay. with me, not at all. Yeah. Now, what is what is your end game with being here today for Freedom One Freedom To raise the consciousness to motivate black people in Jackson to come together and understand that this only happened because we allowed it to. I don't like the fact that a lot of black people like to deify racism. And what I mean by deify racism is you get black people say the reason why they were able to keep that because God basically gave them the power to do it over us. In other words, we don't like to look at the role we play in the oppression we suffer from. And it's too much deification of oppression. It begins with the black church, obviously, right? And I'm not against oh, the Christian church because I'm a descendant of A.M.B. Baptist, right? But the situation is we approach our political problems the same as we approach our religious problems. So everything is viewed through a Christian lens, a Muslim lens, a Jehovah Witness lens. You can't do that. Why? Because the Bible is not a political manual. Right? It's a religious one. The Quran is not a political manual. It's a religious one. Nothing's wrong with it. But you don't go to those books to solve problems created by racism because racism didn't exist the way it does now in the times of Muhammad, Ibn Abdullah, and Jesus and Joseph. So we have to solve these problems using the best Bible of all. And that's the human intelligence of our active minds, you see. So when we start looking at political problems from a religious lens, we start scapegoating God by our lack of responsibility. Let me say that again. One of the biggest psychological problems in black America is scapegoating God by our lack of responsibility. God must have done that. Let's pray harder. I pray every day. I'm a praying person. I also understand that the God I serve does not work for me. God works through me. And if I don't work for myself, God will never help me. And the problem with black people is we have a learned self-helplessness mindset that makes us think we can't do nothing until God works first. Uh-uh. God is the power that works through you. God don't work for you. There you go. There you go. Uh, what, is, what do you want to say on this platform to the African-American race as a whole? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The African race. African-American branch of the African-American race. Okay. What we are going through is of our own doing. We can reverse it if we make up our minds to do it. But you will never do this unless you become economically disciplined. That's our Achilles heel. Black America is the only undisciplined ethnicity in the entire country. We have never, in a post-Dr. King era, weaponized our money for our benefit. Whenever we talk political problems for black people, we will talk voting all day long. But we never talk about organizing our money. Why we can talk all day about voting, but we can never talk about using our money to leverage our political power? Because the average Negro, be he a billionaire or a broke man, isn't interested in committing his money to the liberation of black people. We are financially selfish and we're suffering politically because of that. Do you think that's an incurable disease? Nothing is incurable. Nothing is incurable. But here's the question. Are black people willing to undergo the sacrificial pain necessary to go from degradation to salvation? That's the question. How much are you willing to suffer? You might be willing to lose your job. You might be willing to lose your house. You might be willing to lose your life. Jay Money ain't willing to lose anything. <laughs> Do you follow where I'm coming from? So when we come to the table, we have to stop assuming everybody is willing to sacrifice it all. Find out what people are willing to sacrifice. If this brother says, listen, Doc, I got a family, and I know the race is more important than my unit, but I just can't stomach my family losing a, head, a roof over our heads by fighting for Black Jackson. Thank you for being honest, brother. So I know there's certain means, I'm never inviting you to. There's certain pieces of information, you never get because you just told me you will flip. You will flip if the power structure threatens your moments. You see? But it's okay because he was honest. I know how to use it. The problem with us, we're not honest. We'll walk into the room act like I'm willing to die when your ass ain't even willing to pay five dollars for freedom. You see what I'm saying? So if we know where everybody is, we can plug them in as we need. They all white folks is committed to the same level. They all committed to white supremacy, but they all have different levels of commitment. Some are willing to die for white supremacy, others not so much. But because they're honest with each other, they can plug them in where they go. Gotcha. We have to know people's level of loyalty. Gotcha. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Your application for the community organization plan, put, put, a, put a scale on it, one right. to ten. Right? How much are you willing to, to live, to die, to go to jail for this? One circle, two. No answer is wrong. Tell them no answer is wrong. We just got to know how we can use you. Right. You got some black millionaires in Mississippi, right? They want to help, but they're not willing to lose their comfortable life. No problem. You never come into an inner council meeting, but I need you to do this over here. Mm -hmm. I need you to finance this over here. Even without black celebrities, what are you willing to do? You follow me? I hope it's more than just finance uh, documentaries on people murdered by police, because that's all the hell they've been doing. Every time somebody gets murdered, they finance a documentary. Can somebody please explain to me how much police brutality has slowed down because of documentaries over killed blacks? It's not. Power responds to what? 
power. It don't respond to documentaries. It don't respond to votes. It don't respond to marches. It responds to power. Get some. We appreciate that. I want you to let Show me a politically devastated people. I'll show you an economically devastated people. Mm-hmm. Show me an economically strong people. I'll show you a politically strong people. Your economic situation and your political crisis, they go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. They're the top and the bottom. They're the yin and the yang. And unfortunately for us, because we're not economically disciplined enough to use our money to benefit our liberation, mm-hmm. we never talk economics. Think about all the conversations you've seen on TV, the revolt summits. CNBC reports, black church gatherings. We always talk about we need to vote. You hear about voting 99% of the conversation. You never hear about we need to invest our disposable income into creating our own institutions. For example, we love to celebrate Black Wall Street, don't we? Tulsa, Oklahoma, 101 years ago, bombed to the ground, right? We used to celebrate Wilmington, North Carolina. There's a documentary out on the Black Wall Street in Wilmington. Rosewood, Florida. Charleston, South Carolina. We had Black Wall Streets all over the country. But check it out. Here's the hypocrisy of Black people. Why do we keep on worshiping and praising these Black Wall Streets of a century ago when we have failed to create one in this century? Do you realize there's not a Black city in this country? We're 50 million across 50 states. 50 million across 50 states. You can't show me a single city where we own independently, not white finance or government grants, independently, black school to educate the people, black hospital to save the people, black supermarket to feed the people, black bank to invest in the people. How is it possible we are a two trillion dollar people the richest Africans in the world. We are the 10th most powerful economy on earth. Black America alone. We've got a single Black Wall Street to call yours. Chinese can come in five years, they got one. Arabs can come in five years, they got one. Why you ain't got one? It isn't exclusively due to racism, it's due to the economic selfishness of black people. We are not yet ready to put our money where our mouth is. As I said, I'm really the Frederick Douglass. I'm a kin, not a descendant. His first cousin is my full-time great-grandfather. My full-time great-grandfather, Stephen Henry Bailey, his mother, my five-time great-grandmother, young Betsy, Frederick Douglass's aunt, she was sold into slavery from Maryland to Mississippi. My grandfather, Stephen, never heard from her again. Right? So she's buried somewhere. So for me, Mississippi is personal. She's one of the few ancestors who was sent from Maryland to Mississippi while she was still a youth. Right. And we never heard from her again. So she's buried somewhere in this soil. You'll find For all your listeners, make sure you uh, uh, donate to the Frederick Douglass Marcus Law Academy. Tax exempt. It's tax exempt. It's your cash app. Dollar sign FDMG School. Dollar sign FDMG School. Get your PayPal. PayPal.me slash FDMG Academy, PayPal.me slash FDMG Academy. If you want to send a check or money order, make it out to FDMG Academy, P.O. Box, 9634 Wilmington, Delaware, 9634 Wilmington, Delaware, 19809. Black parents who have issues with your children, if you need expert consultation from yeah. expert school psychologists, you can reach me by email, Dr. Umar Johnson at 